We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, on today's podcast we've got Cammy Bell of the Rangers Football Club podcast, Heart and Hand. Heart and Hand's a podcast for Rangers fans that's been going for around 10 years. It's been in the top 20 in the BPA podcast awards in the last couple of years and features in the top 100 podcast on Patreon. A successful project with four or 5,000 subscribers. Great opportunity for us today to chat to Cami. He'll talk us through some of how the podcast has been set up, uh, some of the achievements the podcast has done, and specifically, we're also going to talk about some of Cammy's ground hopping experiences following Rangers. We hope that all football fans and actually fans of sport and travel will enjoy it as well. So over to the guys having a chat with Cammy. All right, Cammy. Hiya, guys. How are we? All good. Sorry, Cammy. We're currently playing a wee game. But Richard had asked Alan and I about the, you know, because we cover a lot of American sports as well. Nice, nice to meet you, by the way. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, Richard had asked us the eight Americans that have played for Rangers. Um, but I just remember Bedoya. Edu, obviously. Bedoya. Bocanegra. Who else? We've got two left. Who have you got so far? Uh, Beasley. Bocanegra. Yep. Polster, of course. Polster's wife. Poster's wife. She counts as three. <laughs> Claudio Reyna. Claudio Reyna, yeah. Yeah, and the other ones you got, guys, I think you got... That's the six, I think, that we've got, is it? Yeah, right. So the two, both midfielders, both central midfielders, played for Rangers in the last five to six years, but each of them only played for four or five months, or, or slightly longer in that one case, but midfielders. One of them arrived via Arsenal. The trialists. Yeah, young lad. Slim boy. Took a penalty. Did he not score a penalty? Still Alum. Yeah, well yeah. done. Well done. Yeah. So just one left. I think this guy was quite Did a he not score a penalty in the League Cup semi-final against Celtic? That was Zalalum scored his. So one more left. This guy also came via an English top flight club. Scored four times for Rangers in 17 games. I think it was fairly well thought of at the time. I'd say a goal scoring in midfield. A four and 17 might not sound like it, but it was a goal threat from midfield. When was it? Richard? It, it was uh, dum, ba, dum, ba, dum, 2017, so 2016-17 season from January 2017. Final clue then for this guy here. His first name was also the name of a former Rangers player who came from South America and also played for Middlesbrough. Hyman. Yeah, yep. Emerson Hyman, yeah. Yeah, nice. Well, that was a pretty good goal, guys. I thought a couple of them are pretty obscure-ish, I would have said. So that was a, a good Sorry, start. Gabby, that had absolutely nothing to do with the chat tonight. It's just no, <laughs> but do you know do you know what's ironic is? Because we had Hill up for a, for a live show in the Loudoun. One of the things I love about that Clint Hill goal is see if you watch it again and go, go back and watch it, right? Apart from the ball girl behind the goal, right, which everybody remembers, is see if you watch Heinemann. Heinemann runs off and celebrates as if he scored the goal. <laughs> Genuinely go back and watch it. He really does. He goes off as if he's the one that's, that's, that's scored it. Out of that American contingent then, Cami, uh, do you have a favourite player? Any of those bring back particularly good memories for you? It's, it's tough not to pick 
Moe doing it because of the the the, the last minute winner and and, and Demarcus Beasley for obviously some of the the European goals as well. Do you know what I mean? But I always liked Bocanegra. I don't know if he really got a fair crack at it, but I always liked Bocanegra, and he was a big profile player as well. You know, I was going to say Claudio Reina. I was a little bit yeah. surprised Reina didn't make it into your top three there. Cammy, I always thought that was a particularly strong team and squad he was part of. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. still a, He was still a good player within that. Bocanegra set up, you see quite a good partnership with Big, big Godin, big, you know, the big Romanian boy, Daniel, was it Daniel Godin? He, he set up a really good partnership at the, at the heart of the defence that year. I'm I sure you mean a business partnership. <laughs> <laughs> Construction firm, it's going to be <laughs> Opened up, a, opened up a, a, a winyard. So is it a nice change then for you, Cammy, being on this end of a podcast then? Is that a nice little departure? It's good, yeah. It's good. It's weird. I know it sounds daft, but it's weird doing it on video as well because almost all of our stuff is is pretty exclusively done on is done on Skype. We said on Heart and Hand on Hoggy's Hamper on Friday that we would do, uh, we're going to do like a live hamper, which we'll do via Zoom. It's weird because when Ian and I talked about it, we we're kind of like, don't know how it'll be like with this actually on camera. So we're kind of working out the permutations of that. So we're looking forward to it. So this is kind of good practice to kind of get into. And I noticed it's kicked off in 2010. So if you were a footballer, you'd be due a testimonial around about now. Yeah. For 10 years. Let me tell you, when you have to have the daily management of David Edgar, <laughs> you should get a testimonial about every six months dealing with that guy. Uh, because I, I'll give you a, a small indicator to what I have to deal with, like I say, on a hour-by-hour hour basis. Is David and I were recording the daily update one day on a Friday. We were, we were kind of chatting through it and stuff, and then we uh, we had the live show at Ibrox that night. So typically, we'd ever do live shows for about a half, seven, eight o'clock kickoff. We kind of have to be there for about the back end of six o'clock so we can get in and get set up. We've got to bring the PA guy in and all that. Like Rangers literally, they outsource it to a catering company. And they basically just leave you to your own devices. They give you like zero assistance for setup and stuff. The bar staff are brilliant and they give you security, but you're still running the show. So David and I are kind of wrapping up and we're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 chap, chap, chap. And then we finish recording and I'm like, right, well, listen, I'll see you later on tonight. He goes, hey, what's tonight? The live show at Ibrox that we're all doing? Oh, I suppose I better go get a shower and jump the train. Genuinely, I think he would have forgotten about the whole thing. That's what I'm dealing with. And of course, Heart and Hand's been an incredible success story. Even among podcasts, then Cami as well. It's a, a huge audience you've got, and you seem to have hit upon just a winning formula. Yeah, we we when we started out initially, what we kind of wanted to look at was, as you guys will know, and you know, having kind of been to games and stuff, is what we what we kind of realised was that there was an opportunity for us to firstly talk a lot about the kind of dialogue that we wanted to hear, so that. We didn't want to, and we've never tried to put like a biased viewpoint in. We can talk about things with like Rangers tinted specs on, of course. But by and large, as you all know, a lot of the mainstream media was was pretty negative or there was a preset agenda or there was something along the back of that. And really what we wanted to do was start to challenge that norm, which was going to be problematic because you were just wee guys talking in somebody's kitchen. But fortunately, we, we we had enough about us that we started to, to gain some traction. And our big thing, even all the way through from doing the free shows early early on and then get into the Patreon site is once people hear us, they tend to stay. Like they'll they'll hear what we're talking about and we kind of open up a little bit of a kind of different dynamic for them. And once they hear it, by and large, they generally agree with it. We're very fortunate about the fact that we've got a really broad range of podcasters with us now who again will come at it from different viewpoints and stuff. And it's kind of like how your mates, how you'd all stand and talk in the pub and people will have their different viewpoints and I'm right and you're wrong and all the rest of it. And we can get some good debate going. But by and large, what we're trying to do is recreate what you would maybe talk about with your pals. That's it. That's all it has to happen. Yeah, I've found it quite interesting, the, the, the range of stuff you've got in there. I mean, mo- most of my listening is probably the, 
the daily updates, particularly yeah. when there's something going on you want to hear. But if, if you look, you you've got TV shows, you've got politics, travel, all all sorts of stuff going on there as well. So how how did that develop? So we 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 spoke a lot around in the kind of early days when it was like my like myself, David, Scott, Ian, and and a kind of couple of the the staple guys that we probably had involved in terms of the flagship. And when we started to kind of talk about doing Heart and Hand Extra, the other show kind of towards the tail end of the week was we wanted to attract people to come in to to see if you've got an idea for a show, if you've got some sort of theme that you want to be able to try and do. So already we had a, a, a kind of nucleus of guys that we could involve within that. But then at the same point, we've started to attract people to come in. So people literally would message you or email you or whatever and say, look, I've got an idea for a show. What do you think? And sometimes what they do is they would say, well, I've got an idea for a show, but I want you to do it. And then we would say to them, well, why don't you do it yourself? It was introducing people to the world of podcasting and doing all that kind of stuff. If, if you guys have, have heard some of the most recent stuff with guys like John Cowden and Alan Bradley, with the best world in the world to those guys, they are probably our kind of more senior podcasters. These guys would never, like Alan's daughter can't believe he does a podcast and she tells all our pals about it and stuff. But the big thing with that is we wanted to empower these guys to come on and talk about this kind of stuff because if you feel really passionately about it, you'll be the best salesperson for that theme, that show, how it goes. What we try and do is we try and almost incubate it slightly by saying, right, so your idea is good with this, change it to this, or how do you think it will go? We'll do pilots, and fundamentally the listeners are the are the base. If they like it and they want to hear more of it, they'll tell us. And some shows have went really well and blossomed, and other ones have kind of ran a bit of their natural course, and th- those guys might move on to other projects. So, like I say, it's all about being able to try and build that as a community of listeners, but also as podders as well. I like that you see a word community there as well, Cammy. That's what struck me, that you started off maybe talking about Rangers directly, Rangers of the present day Rangers of the past but as you say now it's almost a wider community Rangers is still that single thing that joins everyone together but Mm. you've got a really diverse range of subjects and interests covered I think the big thing for us is I mean I've been involved in kind of fan activism for 20 years when I was doing things with things like the guys in the Blue Order the Club Deck Loyal and stuff and what I found is that you could have very different viewpoints on religion social class cultural class politics whatever but Rangers is a thing that unites you it's the glue that brings you together and what I tend to find although Rangers fans can be somewhat argumentative a little bit with each other because we've all got opinions and we all love the club and we want to see the club move forward and I'm right and you're wrong and all that kind of stuff fundamentally what we want to see is a club blossom we want to see the club succeed we want to see a growth with it so the big thing for us especially when talking about how to make a, a show or a pod or whatever in terms of the network is be diverse and you'll you'll appeal to some people in terms of that community and other people will probably take or leave what you're saying and all that kind of stuff. The big thing that we're incredibly lucky with, as far as I'm concerned, when we talk about our community is that because we do have a good range of podders, a good range of viewpoints, people will have favourites. People will have people that they enjoy listening to. I totally get that. But they won't be critical or dismissive of other podders who are giving up their time to be able to try and do it there's one guy who does this full time and that's David everyone else it's voluntary tonight for example as we're recording this our preview boys because of their own schedules they won't start recording this until 11 o'clock UK time so they're up until the back end of one recording and then sending that so that we can put that out for tomorrow so we're very very fortunate that we've got a lot of people who put an effort into that and I think the listeners reciprocate to that. I think they're, they're very appreciative of it. Can you hint at the size and scale of the operation and the, the success that it's become as well? Cami, do you have a favourite moment, a favourite show, a favourite interview over your time with Heart and Hand that you'd look back on and think just that was terrific? It's, it's kind of weird because I, I think of the pod as, as, as my child and I'm incredibly protective of it. 
you guys will feel the same about this and stuff as well, I'm sure, and the fact that, you know, you, you want to make sure that you make it the best it can be and stuff. To give you an idea with it, like, probably more recently, and, and the fact that, I mean, as you guys will know with what's happened with the board and, you know, the various changes that have happened, especially over the last four or five years, having the working relationship with the clubs has been really, really important. A couple for me that probably stand out is when we sponsored the game against St Mirren, beginning of the season, last season. You know, every so often, and you, you, you've all watched it, right? So you'll know that every so often the match sponsor will come up and, you know, if it's Tom, or in this case it was Clive Tildesley on comms we'll talk about it and Kevin Thompson was doing the the co-coms and I'm kind of sitting there buzzing with pride seeing our logo on an actual Rangers game and then Kevin Thompson turned around and he said oh oh, the fact the boys are all absolutely brilliant I know them all really well and stuff and he goes I've been a guest and Clive Tildesley turned around and said you know know, I've been on it as well they're all good guys and it's a bit surreal because you're like is that our podcast they're actually talking about or is this somebody else and then we had one and it was not long after we'd just done the 50 greatest Rangers and it had went to a shot of Neil McCann at the halftime punditry and it came up Neil McCann recently voted in Heart and Hands 50 greatest Rangers and genuinely we couldn't believe it when we saw it it's wee surreal moments like that because you've got such a close relationship with an institution like Rangers see if you were to talk to me about if I was doing this when I was part of the Supporters Trust 20 years ago you'd have a working relationship with the club I would not have believed you it's really fortunate for us to have come on so much really interesting hearing that Cammy and and talking about the the diverse arrangements I mean the the four of us we're friends and we all travel to sport and and football together and we've we've done a, a few trips I think we started off with a few initial trips up to Dingwall for county games which usually involved the, the last train home we watch any sport we've done a few international trips mostly the, the Netherlands go and watch football that we've done the last two or three years obviously we, we got in last year just before the end of it but we, we decided to sort of kick off the sort of podcasting over the lockdown we've, we've been to baseball together we, we're into sort of different sports so we thought oh, we'll give that a go as football fans then, then talking about baseball but what we then felt going forward is it would be good to look at different stuff so like our ground hopping whilst we've all got our own teams we've done a lot of different journeys and a lot of different trips so we thought well, we'll then look at doing sort of series of ground hopping stuff so that's what we were interested obviously with your experience then as a Rangers fan we'd, it would be good to talk through some of your, your favourite most memorable trips not, not always necessarily the best results <laughs> What what trips would feature in your, your Rangers history as your best? I'd like I'd like to pretend, and you'll forgive me for this, but I think you can probably understand it. That it's probably been a lot of trips that I only remember certain parts of. I think we, we can we all understand that. Yeah, we can all we can all appreciate that. I think one of my one of my favourite ones. So I'm a I'm a huge believer, a huge huge advocate that it's for Rangers fans. You have to go and watch Rangers away in Europe at least once in your life. And uh, I've done the buses to Germany. I've done the buses to to the, the bottom end of France and stuff, went across to Belgium. Yeah, been on some kind of major journeys. Been in a couple that might have left Annie Miller's and uh, worse for wear by the time they even got on the bus, much less anything else. But like I say, it's it's a big part of that. Uh, one in particular I remember was uh, when we played Porto and it was the one-all draw, the Ross McCormack equaliser. Porto had not long done a lot of kind of stadium redevelopment at that point, but I have a friend, Tommy. Tommy can sniff out a travel bargain at 100 yards so he'll, he'll find the cheapest flight and probably the most awkward journey you can kind of come into so you can get the direct flights which will cost you a fortune but Tommy will find you an alternate route and it'll cost you like you know 20 quid we flew into Lisbon we got the the taxi to the kind of main rail station when we were coming out of the train station you, you, you kind of I mean I'm, I don't know if it's still the same or not but in Lisbon it was like the kind of rail state the railway station was in the kind of bottom level but as sometimes you get with kind of a lot of European capitals, there's like a shopping centre above it and then like a yeah. supermarket and stuff. It's like multi-level almost. So we said, you know, we'll go and get some Superbock for the train. We get into the supermarket 
And uh, we're all wearing tops and colours. I think I was still wearing a flag for whatever reason. I mean, it's essential travel on a plane. Uh, we were walking around the supermarket and this guy who's who's stacking shelves watching this and he goes, are you Glasgow Rangers? Are you Glasgow Rangers? And we're like, uh, yeah, yeah. I am Lisbon. I hate Porto. Now this guy is like, he's as I say, he's a worker in the supermarket. And then some other person who I assume was his boss, this woman walks around the corner and she's like, you know, whatever his name is, you know, get back to work in fluent Portuguese. And he goes, Rangers, Rangers beat Porto, Rangers. And he's standing having this quite open exchange. And we're all like looking at each other like, what the hell is going on here? And she goes, no, Porto will beat you. And I'm like, you beat Porto, you beat, you come back when you beat Porto. I give you free beer, as much free beer as you want. And I'm just like, is this what this is going to be like? We're all absolutely chuckling ourselves away laughing and stuff as well. So we, we, we head off and we're handshakes and high fives with the guy and stuff. And the woman was really nice. We're talking away. So we jump on the train. For anyone who, who's done this journey, when you jump on the train, Porto is kind of like, it's, it's almost slightly coastal but you have to go over a train it's almost like the tiny and weird bridge it kind of looks very much like that and as you were coming round, you kind of come around the curve and you see the bridge first and there was a massive union flag hanging off the bridge and then as you come around the kind of i want to call it the caverns but you kind of know what i mean is that it kind of opens up a bit and then you start to see actual into porto itself it was blue and I mean, blue. It was kind of like the first experience I've had where, you know, that aerial shot of Manchester where all it is is just blue bodies. You know, it's all you can see across it. That's what Porto was like. So we get there and we get into the hotel, which is the worst hotel I think exists. It was terrible. I genuinely think, you know, I mean, I could have paid for it for a fiver for about three of our rooms. Tommy coming up trumps there. Oh, honestly, what a lifesaver. But we, we dumped the bags because that's all it's interested in and we head straight out and stuff. And you're just, and it's just a party. It just as a huge party. The amount of people that I made friends with on European trips, I still keep in contact now. And then you get, you know, you, you jump on their kind of overground rail train system out to, and it had a dedicated own station. It's kind of like Ibrox, except when you come up the subway stairs and you kind of come out through the kind of underground, you then come out into the stadium and the stadium itself is is just, enormous. I mean, it's magnificent. It really, really is huge. An early trip for me, but that's when I got the total bug. That's when I just, Love to be able to try and go away and be able to do it. Going across to Molde in Norway and having to get ferries to the game. You just wouldn't expect things like that. Being in Germany and then having to get a, a guy, a random taxi driver to take you back to your hotel because you can barely speak English and you can't, certainly can't speak German. So he'll, you know, try and get you into the right way. And what I've always found is that there's always a really good community of football, if that makes sense to a lot of the places that we go to. And you can see these people, like, we always go, I always believe that whenever we go, we always behave ourselves. We always go with good graces and stuff. And when you see people, I remember going across when we played um, Tel Aviv, and we thought Tel Aviv might be a bit kind of dodgy. We were only going to be able to get uh, direct flights there by the club and sport options. And the big thing for us was, you know, get there, behave yourselves, etc. I was part of the, I was a secretary of the Ranger Supporters Trust at the time. And we had to kind of go out with the message of, look, if you're travelling, best behaviour. These people don't, you know, there's no pissing about or what have you. Which is a message I remembered when I was in my shorts, virtually naked, pouring washing powder into a fountain. Police were just driving by us and just absolutely, they, they were loving it. They absolutely loved it. They just loved the idea of people coming over really for a party. It was just, it was really nice to kind of go over. Israel's absolutely beautiful, but it's one of these places you never would have gone on holiday. Like you wouldn't ever think about it. But I would go back to Israel in a heartbeat. It was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. And the people were fantastic as well. What was your first experience then, Cammy? You mentioned that I think you're right. Everyone should do at least one European away trip in their life. But can you remember what your first one was? No, is the honest answer. Possibly Auxerre or also I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at the dates. I'm absolutely terrible with Rangers history. I really am. But it was, it was the bus. You know, we'll jump in the bus. It's always a great idea. Left the Wee Rangers Club. There was a guy 
who I remember travelling with didn't realise it wasn't a dry bus because he was used to getting his supporters bus all the time. We were we all came in with our carryouts. I was still young and foolish back then, so I used to drink cans of tenants. So I'd have cans of tenants kind of stocked up there and we're all ready to go and we've got our cargo to kind of take us down to, to at least Dover. Alan went away off, didn't realise that he could go and get a carryout, so he ran to t- uh, to Asda. But by this point, he, he gives me his bag. Now his bag is a poly bag, like a carrier bag, with I think one set of pants, one set of socks, maybe a t-shirt, who knows. But he just literally hands it to me. The bus turns up and he's not there and we don't know what to do. So I've obviously I've got his <laughs> his stuff. And we look back and all you see is him running down the road, coming over the kind of bridge at the Weird Angels Club as he's running down the road with a shopping trolley full of beers. And he literally <laughs> bought us all a pack of beer each. And he said, oh, thanks, boys. That's good. I'll sit with you. The guy's the size of a small bungalow. He's huge. We all very quickly, the smart ones, because I think it was our friend Russell's first trip. He got landed with him. He's one of these guys, you know, he kind of leans on you when he's sleeping and all that kind of stuff. Leaning on Russell is a wee small cushion for most of the trip all the way down there my first trip had a sort of similar first european away trip had a sort of similar theme and um coming down from the highlands i booked with the kenning park ranger supporters club uh, to meet at the grapes bar sort of eight in the morning uh, and it was uh, away to bohemians of dublin which uh, was at 84 i think F- fair element of naivety for the wee lads from the highlands coming down but i remember the off license there was an off license near the grapes and it opened up and i remember saying to the guys well you're not allowed booze on the bus <laughs> You were given an education. <laughs> you can go and do it. And then, so we, we all get a car out and we're sitting on the bus and the, the bus convener stands up and says, you're not allowed, as we know, you're not allowed alcohol on the bus. And I'm thinking, oh, I just told everybody that. He said, so well, we're chucking a fiver in for the driver. Uh, <laughs> if everybody puts a fiver in for the driver, we'll be fine. I'm sure when we did the Ox Air game, I think we left on the Tuesday for the Thursday game. It was the same night that that lot had played Man United in the Nakamura free kick. The way how we had to kind of go into I think that the motorway turns on, uh, turn on were closed. So we were obviously trying to get onto the M74 as you're going through Glasgow and you go through, you've kind of got to go through the kind of back end of Brigton and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually you go through Parkhead and the bus convener Barry stands up and he says, look, there's no getting away with this. We're going to have to go through Parkhead. Everybody close the curtains over. And what I'm telling you now is if there's any damage to the bus, we're getting straight back and the trip's over. So we're kind of going through and they're all now starting to kind of come out of the stadium. It was the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. I can't believe we actually got away with this. And we're almost through and we get through the streets just past the where the Turnstiles pub is. And we get through that junction and then one of the boys at the back who, like I said, was getting ready for this, this departure at nine o'clock by starting drinking probably at 12 o'clock that afternoon just stands up and rattles the back of window of the bus came out with some less than friendly language shall we say cans bricks everything at the bus the guy just the driver just floored it so we could get along London Road as quickly as we possibly could that's what happens that's that's European trips Jimmy you've got to enjoy them a trip that wasn't quite so far but was obviously pretty momentous was Manchester in 2008 Cammy, what was your experience there I was one of the fortunate ones that I got a ticket in the third ballot. And I remember going on to follow follow at the time. All that was happening at that point was Zenit have returned more tickets. Zenit and, and you're kind of hoping and praying. And back then, bizarre as it sounds for anyone listening to this nowadays, but back then your notification was a letter through the door with a ticket. That was it. That's how you got it. You didn't get an email. You didn't get anything else. And so you're praying that it's happening and stuff. So I'd already, before I got the ticket, decided that we're going. I think most people did. And as I say, we were, we, we were still dealing with a lot of stuff with the club deck loyal at the time. My friend George had arranged a, a 56-seater. So we were going down and we we're coming back up in the same 
same day and all that kind of thing. All I remember really when you're travelling south, pretty much as soon as you kind of came out of Glasgow, every motorway overpass, you know, the bridges, whether there were traffic or pedestrian footways, every single one of them had flags on them. And it was just like that all the way down, virtually. Bus got lost in Manchester, don't know how we did that. But there was a point where we were kind of, we were tail locked, we were, we were gridlocked in the motorway. I think it was kind of near Carlisle or whatever. And there was a, a group of guys in a minibus and we were wearing polo shirts. We were wearing club deck polo shirts at the time. And this guy shouted through the bus driver window. He goes, your polo shirts, mate, they're absolutely brilliant. Have you got any spares? And then at that point, George grabbed one from a bag that we had and then ran over and gave it as I say, ran across the motorway to the kind of outside lane to the inside lane to give this guy a spare polo shirt. And I was like, that would only happen in a Rangers-related away game and we're going down to the biggest. I had a brilliant time down in Manchester. And and as I say, it's I've never watched the game since, but the memories of that day and seeing all my pals and bumping into people. And it was like there was just this big massive convention. So you knew you were going to bump into people that you hadn't seen in years and years and years. But what a party and what an atmosphere. It was the same thing as we kind of mentioned before when we were in Piccadilly. There was an office block next to it. There was a Tesco's or some sort of supermarket that was right at the bottom. And that had sold out of booze very early doors. The office block that was above it, you could just see these windows, uh, like in a large floor-to-ceiling windows, which obviously were for the aesthetic purposes. They were wall-to-wall with people from the offices just looking to see what we were doing. The funny the funny thing, right, and I'll tell you this is a true story, because as I say, we were involved, the RST at that time was involved with supporters' communications. So the idea was the club and the police were going to talk to us and say, you know, if, if uh, you know, we need you to send the comms out, so like I say, don't travel, you know, you know, if you're going to travel, behave yourself, stick to these particular areas, don't go off on your own. When we got to, to the quarterfinals, we had a conversation with, with the police. Uh, Greater Manchester police came up to Ibrox, but they were visiting all of the remaining semi-finalists at that point. And they had said, so the first the first thing was this, this Manchester copper is standing there and it's me and I think Mark Dingwall was there. Whoever was head of security at that time at Rangers, I don't know if it was Lawrence McIntyre, this copper stands up and he says, right, if in the event that you get to the final in Manchester, we're going to ask you all to encourage people without tickets not to travel. And Mark and I burst out laughing. And I don't think this guy understood a reaction. And he was like, so, sorry, what's the problem? We've got a fan zone set up that will contain 20,000 people and there's going to be 20 toilets. And I was like, you'll need... You'll need about four times that. I mean, I don't think you understand what this, but I, I was kind of saying this to him as a kind of a confident, well, not confident, but a kind of a precursor, but I wasn't that confident because I didn't think we would beat Fiorentina. You all know yourselves. I mean, as soon as that happened and Nacho's penalty goes in, everybody, we're going. That's it. Everybody's going. Whether you're flying down, getting the train down, driving down, walking down, doesn't matter. Everybody's going. It was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic. I was at our supporters bus. <laughs> At the time, I worked down in Manchester. Uh, I was in Secondment down there, so I told everyone, "Listen, we'll go to Albert Square." Yeah, and that just worked out absolutely perfect. Um, but our supporters bus, we stayed down at Albert Docks through in Liverpool, and we took the option: let's get a minibus kind of through in the day, and then at night just kind of come back. And do you know what? We a few of us had tickets, a few didn't. Those of us that didn't went to Albert Square. Had just the best time, the best day. It was incredible. Went back to the hotel at night through in Liverpool and woke up the next day to all this stuff in the papers. And we thought, yeah. didn't see a single thing the whole day. Like you said, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people down there, tens of thousands. Every shop sold out of anything that was remotely uh, alcohol related at all. I, again, what an experience, what a day. It was, like you said, on the way down, it was like a convoy. Yeah. It was just everything, red, white and blue, the whole way down. Uh, you really, you know, you feel part of something when you see something like that. It's it's great. It's it's funny you're kind of saying that because um, when we Adam Thornton and James Forrest from from the podcast, we went across to Luxembourg to play 
progress in what I think was arguably one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my entire life is a nil-nil draw, which was totally unnecessary. So Adam and I get over there, and the, 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 James was kind of falling behind us. He was kind of getting changed in the room and stuff. So we get there. We found the only shop that was selling alcohol that wasn't a bit of a trek to the supermarket literally was being emptied as people were li- like, if, if a crate of beer cost 10 euro to save you queuing up, you just gave the guy 20 euro. I bought a bottle of vodka. That's a lie. I bought two bottles of vodka, but it came in plastic covering like kids' toys. It was so weird. The only drink you could get your hands on and the woman who owned the shop was literally just doing ferry runs between her shop and the supermarket to buy more drink to bring it back to her shop to sell it because she just had queues and queues of beer standing outside the outside the place and yeah we emptied it absolutely emptied it but again another brilliant trip even though the football wasn't great I mean I was wondering where kind of the furthest was that your Rangers kind of fandom is taking you I was thinking about I don't know if you ever done any of the North American Rangers Supporters Associations, Toronto or anything like that? Have you ever been? No, I haven't. And I had the opportunity recently to speak to Gary Gillen. And because I know that we've obviously had to cancel a couple of last NASA conventions. I do have my sights set on being able to try and go to Vegas next year. I'm trying to do it without the wife finding out about it. That might be difficult. We get married in Las Vegas and she's been choking to go back. And somewhat ironically, <laughs> we were booked to go back to Vegas uh, last year just before COVID hit and Trump closed the borders. That's going to be a tough needle to thread. But I'm choking to do it absolutely can't wait to be able to try and go and do it and you know having had the opportunity to kind of you know see rangers abroad and spending time with rangers fans abroad i've got zero doubt that you would go and it would be a phenomenal time ian hogg's been to the last one in vegas i've been talking to him about us going over uh, together i don't know if he's got out the doghouse from the last convention you, you know what it's like you've got to time your runs with your partners maybe get them some presents or something like that and then just <laughs> just drop it in there as a casual conversation if you say it to her when she's asleep technically you've told her okay. i mean she, she might not have been conscious during it but you've told her so it can not be a like, surprise when like. you can be a surprise when you walk out with your suitcase. Not for a live <laughs> event, but um, or it was live, but not not in the person. But we we did our golf trip to California, so we were there for a week, and we had one day off. The day off was in San Francisco. Rangers were playing Air United in the League Cup that day, so it would have been an eight hour time, eight nine hour time difference. But anyway, we we got up the hotel. It was an hour and a half drive. This one day in your life, you're going to be in San Francisco. <laughs> what, what do we do? We, we go to the San Francisco Rangers Supporters Club. We order pizza and we sit there eating pizza for breakfast, drinking beers, watching Rangers play Air United in the League Cup. You thought, yeah, this is there anything else to see in this city? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, we're there. It's it's funny you say that as well because uh, when I was saying there about we get married in Vegas, we did a thing where uh, there was four of us travelling, so it was myself, my wife, uh, her sister, and her sister's partner at the time, and we flew directly to Vegas uh, from Glasgow, and then we got married. We we're a few days in Vegas, got married in Vegas, and then we were going to New York on the way back, and then we're flying back. My wife's a brilliant organizer, and. I'm inherently lazy when it comes to these kind of things. So I just leave her, I'll, I'll leave it to the expert. It's probably the best way I can put it. So she tells me and she was telling her this and, you know, I'm feigning an interest. It's probably the nicest way I can say it. I'm keeping my voice down in case she hears me. But we're, I'm, I'm kind of, I understand what we're doing. She's like, right, we fly over on this day and then we're in Vegas for a couple of days. I said, right, when are we going to New York? And she goes, well, we'll probably go on the Friday. I went, okay, so we'll be in New York for the Saturday, Sunday, and then we're kind of home on the Tuesday. She goes, yeah, I went, right, the weekend is the weekend of the League Cup semi-final against Motherwell. I, I, I need to see that game. And she goes, well, where on earth in New York are you going to go and watch a game of football? What time will it be on it? I went, well, it'll be a half-twelve kickoff. So it'll be ready. I'll be 
about six o'clock New York time and I've already found a bar called the Big Apple Bears and I've already messaged them and I've already confirmed that they're showing it. And of that (laughs) one small piece of my whole wedding situation was the only part I was proactively involved in. And she was like, so what are we supposed to do? Because our partner's, our sister's man was a Hibs fan and he was just going to come with me just to probably get a beer and I said what are we supposed to do and I went you're in New York a stone's throw away from Times Square I'm sure you could entertain yourself for a few hours and uh, yeah sure enough five o'clock in the morning had to get up get a taxi find the bar get in there and stuff and you pay your kind of $10 cover and all that kind of stuff but it was absolutely fantastic but that was that was the it was happening. Do you mean she realised what she was marrying into? I did finish off my San Francisco trip by going to see the the Giants of baseball that evening. Oh yeah, we saw the the, the Giants and the Padres. The Padres won, uh, so it was good to. Uh, you can then add into my cultural experience there then as well. So fantastic, Cammy. Do you like other sports? Obviously, because here we're kind of big football fans as well. Obviously, baseball, but we like a variety of sports. What about yourself? Is there anything else you follow? So yeah, so um, I like basketball. Um, I, I used to play basketball when I was uh, at school, and and we kind of did quite well within our kind of local region in terms of playing basketball tournaments and stuff with the schools. And, and I've always liked it. Again, kind of coming back to that New York trip, we went to Madison Square Garden, and it was the the opening game of the season. I think well, the next lost, I forget who they were playing. I've still got the ticket, but it was brilliant. But I think as we've kind of talked about it's kind of that experience of being able to go and I'm, I'm not one of these people like I know a lot of guys are like oh, I don't like the American like I don't like the big showbiz glam type idea of when you're trying to do sporting events and stuff actually I really like it I really like the whole you're there for the whole thing it's not just the game I, I, I liked golf when I was younger and stuff and, and I'll still kind of watch a bit of that and I, I'm also a bit of a kind of snooker fan I don't know I would have people that I know that would argue snooker isn't a sport but but I think by and large I'll always try something if that makes sense if I can kind of get a bit of a grip of what's under what's going on and if I understand it, then I'll always give something a try, except cricket. Just can't can't try cricket. <laughs> oh Yorkshireman, we've got a Yorkshireman in the podcast. Calm down, can we? I'd love I'd love to be able to get into it because for me it looks like a great day out. Uh, back, I, back in the day it was the only place where you could get a drink or yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and my stepdad, big cricket fan and stuff, and he was always like when we we're kind of growing up, he goes, you know, when you turn 18, we'll we'll go and we'll watch it and stuff. And I was like, I'd, I'd love to, but I just don't I don't get it. I don't follow it. And people have tried to explain it to me, and I'm kind of like, Yeah, this is not sticking. I don't I yeah, don't a, get it. a T20 game might be a good introduction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where there is a bit of razzmatazz sort yeah. of English style, but yeah, that can be pretty good. We had a we had a brilliant uh, day. I don't know if you guys all if you all remember it, but we used to do the football and masters, which was like a Sky Sports based sponsored tournament. Used to have it at the Brayhead Arena, and mm-hmm. again, Alan, I'm sure you'll remember this as well, certainly. But kind of basically reminiscent of the ten and sixties. And uh, I remember doing that, and didn't realise you could drink at it. We got there quite early doors, and we just managed to kind of fill our boots full of a bit. And as kids kind of run about the place, and you're just sitting tanking beers as quickly as you possibly can. <laughs> uh, but that was brilliant as well. But no, nah, I'm I'm primarily football. I'll usually watch if there's something on. I'll I'll, I'll kind of stick on. I, I really just enjoy kind of going to the live events. I, I like going to to gigs and stuff as. Well well so yeah. I'm a big fan of kind of going in and immersing myself in the experience I loved I loved going to, to, to Madison Square Garden and being able to try and get involved in some of that stuff as well we spoke about it actually was I think Vegas have got a is it the Vegas Knights that they've got as a, a football team they were building the stadium I think they were kind of beginning the franchise as I was I was there last time and we kind of talked about if we go back we might go and see what's going on not knowing what's going on but listen if there's food and beer yeah. you can't really get on can you I think they've got a hockey team yeah imagine the carnage Just, I'm just thinking the carnage now if somebody introduced 
just the 10 and 6s every January. I'd love to come. But the idea of playing your, I mean, I just think people would find it so alien of playing your first team players in a throwaway football five or six times. Like a tournament for no reason, as they're probably leaving one on you as you're shielding the ball at the board or something. I bet you see, against other teams that may have an interest (laughs) in trying to beat you in the league and stuff. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, I feel like. Hibs won that tournament when Gore was playing. He was interviewed afterwards. I'm sure it was in the States. That was qualified for Europe. Now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'd, I'd love to. I don't know if it, if it ever does come back. I'd love to see Alan McGregor playing in goals for it because if these games end up like you know seven six or whatever, and he concedes six goals or whatever, he'll be absolutely fizzing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good entertainment nonetheless. It was good oh. fun that tournament. Yeah, it was. There was always somebody who he didn't really rate in the proper eleven aside team, and they'd actually turn out to be totally shit hot in the six aside. So every team had one. Scott Nisbet and the Masters and the. Most in the more recent one, the Sky Sports one, scored probably one of the best goals I've ever seen in the flesh. And obviously, people immediately went back to the Scott Nis- Nisbet flickery, you know, when he was scoring in the, in, the, in the kind of proper games. But he scored this wonderful volley in this uh, Masters tournament. And he's kind of just looked at the camera like, you know, you probably didn't know I had that, but I have. And you know, <laughs> it's just great, you know. Yeah, that, that Bruise game was, was exactly, yeah. You know, look back now, it was quite odd. We, I lived in Edinburgh at the time Scott Nisbet played for Rangers, and he would quite often be on the same train back home as us and you sort of think yeah there's a guy playing for Rangers actually sitting behind you or beside you on the train going home and like, like a common guy like me yeah. changed times isn't it it's not that long ago but I know what you mean Alan now they're all fancy motors etc I don't think you'll catch many of them in the train no. it's, it's maybe a, the other thing I was going to say about that, that Bruges game maybe slightly unfair mentioning it but between the four of us we were represented at both of the Rangers Leeds games oh right brilliant absolutely fantastic or, or for, for 50% of us anyway for, for, <laughs> Yes, that. when you were when you were talking about European away games, so I suddenly realised I, mean, I have actually seen seen Rangers in Europe. Yeah, big, uh, <laughs> European game. I was at the Ellen Road for the the second leg in ninety two, ninety two, ninety three, ninety two. And I, th- I think if you remember rightly, away fans were banned yeah. from going out and not even sure. Certainly the first game wasn't shown live on TV in Scotland either, was it? And of course, out Leeds United fans from Leeds originally. I think you had to go down to the borders for the first game to watch. I remember you doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we, we went to bigger, of course, Leeds scored in the first minute. I had to suppress any look of joy because it was absolutely mob. But in the, in the second game, I managed to get a ticket. And of course, the opposite happened in the first minute. I was right in line with Mark Haitley when I thought he's going to shoot here. But unfortunately, John Lukic wasn't thinking that and of course it flew in and there was two guys in front of us obviously Rangers fan just went up cheered I was in the, the West End which is the main down at Ellen Road where you get relatively normal football fans in there and it was a few seconds and after a while somebody shouted oh, you're not supposed to be here and uh, eventually a steward well, all going like that I have no problem with them obviously um, so we had to go up there so there was plenty of Leeds fans in, in Ibrox that yeah. got chucked out so eventually, they got, you know, after a few seconds, they got got thrown out from the game, one of the biggest games of their lives. It was a pretty, I have to say, it's nearly 30 years ago now, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a great there's story. A, a, absolutely fantastic performance from Rangers, and I can still see that second goal unfolding. Fantastic break, wasn't it? Was it Haitley? Haitley, Yeah, yeah. was in the cop, and he said there was like 8,000, or how many people in the cop? We're pointing somebody, Mark McCoy. 
because nobody did it. That was it too. Though. There's a there's a brilliant story that Andy Gorham tells about. You know they were doing the build up for that return uh, leg of the Battle of Britain. He, he obviously you know Rangers scored so early doors and it was just silent because obviously nobody expected it. And he said that the only noise he heard was like this dull thud that was being made, like this kind of banging thud type noise. And he looked up and there was people in the corporate boxes going crazy because it was the Rangers fans who had bought corporate hospitality to be able to get in. And they're all banging the windows and all of that kind of stuff as well, because as I say, they're all going absolutely crazy. And so I think a few of them get ejected out of the back of it and stuff. So that was the only noise he could hear because Ellen Road was like, you know, stunned, yeah. you know. He had, he had a, uh, I mean, a fantastic, probably the best goalkeeper I've you know, seen on a regular basis and he was pretty good that night and funnily enough if you remember back although Rangers scored very early on I've never seen the, the full game since but Eric Cantona was yeah. still playing for Leeds I have a feeling that he pulls a, he pulls a few good saves off from Cantona as well yeah. yeah 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 looking back that must rank as one of Rangers' best teams that you know I would certainly rate it as as high as anything and that season they could quite easily have of one yeah, there's a big thing around that, the, the kind of idea of that 92-93 team and the kind of analogy we always use, and we talk about, especially in pods actually, when we talk about, you know, the treble winners and we talk about the the, the calibre of, of that team is that team could fight. So if you wanted to come and you wanted yeah. to have a bit of kind of, probably what we'd see now is football's very sanitary if you were to show some of the tackles that we got away with back then, you know, they could do that if that's how you wanted to play or they could play football. Mm. So however you wanted to come and present yourself, yeah, they could match it. was pretty combative, wasn't he? Yeah. He was really up for that game, I yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Odd thing about that campaign is I remember the first game in the league was at home to Marseille, 2-0 down, and it was 2-0 going on 4-5-0. Uh, and then McSwigan and Haitley scored for Rangers to get a 2-2 draw. And you're just sort of thinking, that it's astonishing that we've got out of here with it as all. But they just they just grew from that then as well in that tournament. They didn't, they didn't, that team didn't know when it was beaten. Yeah. It just it just constantly fought to be able to try and make sure they made a, a kind of show themselves. And I know that, like you say, there's a again, there's another story. I'm sure we've all heard that about the whole. You know, they they came into training one day in between the two legs of the Leeds games. There was newspaper clippings all the way around the Ibrox, the home dressing room, because the players used to come in and change there if they were going away elsewhere to go and train. It was all newspaper clippings. That Archie Knox had had collated where it was literally, you know, that they're already looking, Leeds are already looking to the next round, they're already looking past the Rangers game and all that kind of stuff. And he did it purposely as a motivation. We spoke to him about it when we interviewed him. And he goes, aye, it's true, I did it. Um, and Because I knew that the boys would see it and they'd, I'd get the reaction out of them that I wanted and stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you there, we talked about McCoyston Hately in that context, obviously two of the greatest Rangers strikers of the past 30 years, but... This current Rangers team is obviously going to win the league and possibly set some records doing so, but their style of play, what kind of strikers from the past few decades in your time do you think would have particularly kind of prospered? And this team, I'm thinking obviously you get Tav and Barisic thrown in great quality from, yeah. from the wings. If there was a certain player from the past, do you think would really run amok? You know, as you kind of mentioned there, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, you know, if you talk about McCoyst and Haitley, if we were to play that, I almost feel that, you know, Haitley would get on the end of, of plenty of service. One thing you you can always say about Mark Caitley is that he could he could header a ball. I think Ali been able to try and be in around the box and been able to try and find the space similar to how Kamar Roof does it at the moment and been able to try and pull defenders with him. And, and listen, McCoyst, we've, we've seen it often enough. I mean, we've, we've, we can all remember it at the time and we've seen it since, but he was always a nuisance. He was always a bit, the thing he had was a predatory instinct that he always was able to be able to, to find the right space to be in at the right time to be able to try and finish it. I think it'd be interesting. I'd like to see Nikita Jelovic playing in this team because I think Jelovic gets 
rightly a lot of praise for the fact that he was a very, very intelligent footballer, but a huge attacking threat as well in terms of being able to kind of, you know, really attack the ball. Sometimes it's difficult because you get players who are waiting for the ball to come to them, but he'll absolutely go and meet the cross and meet it with ferocity as well. I think if we kind of go a bit further back than that, Chris Boyd would be kind of interesting, although I don't know if Boyd is going to be able to kind of do the level of work that that central striker has to do for us at the moment. Not necessarily overlaying Boyd's kind of makeup and stuff, but again, I still think it's Chris Boyd is going to be able to score goals. I mean, if you can give him half a chance, he'll, he'll sniff it out. It would be interesting. It's a great question. I, I don't. I, I kind of grew up on football partnerships for strikers. McCoy and Hatley is the most obvious one, but then if you look down south and you think of guys like York and Cole at Man United, Sutton and Shearer at Blackburn, all of these kind of big teams, you always think two strikers and yep. you've got the big guy the wee guy or you know whatever it's really basic but listen it worked for a hell of a lot of teams I maybe, I've maybe got a few years on you Cammy, but down south Dalglish and Rush was another classic combination of that kind of era as well Alan or Dave Jr any strikers from the recent past or even the further past you'd like to have seen in this Rangers team? You know, Richard, it's a really good question. I hadn't thought of it before. I don't know why he's the first name coming to mind, but I think Gordon Jury would have done cracking in a, a Stevie Gerrard team. He would have worked absolutely in that front three really well. I know you maybe got other workers in there like Rod Wallace and so on, but I think Gordon Jury would have done pretty well. well he was underrated as a Rangers player, actually. Alan, anybody you'd like to throw in the mix? It's a good question. I think sort of similar to what Cammy was saying. I'm probably a bit of a, a traditionalist there thinking you're going to have two guys a big, a big guy and a and, and a weir guy finding the space in the box. So yeah, and, and I guess that's the first, uh, not quite the first, but this was the, the McCoyst Hatley thing was a, was a, was the first big partnership. I then saw as a Rangers team winning things. It, it's interesting because they, they were supplied by a winger. Um, so what you're effectively saying now is you're you're Tav and Barisic, they're fullbacks. So you potentially have that space with with a couple of players like that. I mean Rangers. You're not necessarily with, with Roof and, and Kent and Hadji going to find guys jumping about to try and win the ball in the air, but you, you could with McCoyst and Hatley. McCoyst, I think uh, Yorkshire Dave pointed this out before, McCoyst actually reasonable in the air as well. It was a bit understated, probably because he had other players who were then the likes of Hatley beside him who would take all the credit. For, for scoring the headers but McCoy's wasn't he it wasn't really a slouch there as well so no uh, interesting work, work ethic Hatley uh, had a great work, work ethic as well I mean any player you look at in that type of winning team has to have a great work ethic I mean you can then people will always look back and say oh he was a wee bit on the lazy side but that tends not to be the, the situation so what about uh, Marco Negri to throw a name in how many would he score in this Rangers team I was going to say Big Dado. I think there's just about any any Rangers team, Big Dado. If you wouldn't add to the first team, it would be no bad to take off the bench as well. I think if we if we talked about obviously that Hayley McCoy's partnership, Hoggy, his dad makes a big comparison between Kamar Roof and Morris Johnson, which I think yeah. is quite interesting when you talk about you know Johnson was like the third element of that McCoy's part, uh, Hayley partnership and you know he was kind of brought in with a view to potentially McCoyst you know at that time not playing as, as regularly and I think it'd be interesting to see because again say what you will about Morris Johnson but he had a tremendous work ethic and he you know he continued to, to as I say make sure that he was covering a lot of kind of different areas of the box and kept moving you're like. a big Kyle Lafferty fan Cammy, but you never mentioned him there Oh, no, I know, I know. Listen, I've got too much respect for your podcast to be able to decry it by suggesting that Kyle Lafferty would have been able to slot right into that team there as well. But listen, all I can tell you is, you know, I'm still recovering from my broken heart after this, after he signed for Kilmarnock and 
Rangers haven't been able to try and pursue him. I mean, the guy the guy wins titles, that's a fact. And he wins titles around about this kind of time as well. So he'd be the guy we'd all be looking to to, to get us over the line, you know. It sounds like Kyle Lafferty would run a very close second to my next question then, Cammy. But all-time favourite Ranger for yourself? McCoyst, 100% Ali McCoyst. He's... I understand people's opinion will have changed because obviously the whole, you know, the manager remit and, you know, stuff off the field and various other wee bits and bobs. Ali McCoy scores goals. It's that simple. When you're my age and you were growing up, everybody was Ali McCoy. That's who you played to be. Some of your, your greatest memories in terms of when you think about Rangers celebrations. My my favourite my, my, my favourite all-time Rangers image is the 98 Scotch Cup semi-final when McCoy has poked home the header in a game that Celtic were battering us in. And we had very few chances and up comes Ali McCoy with a header. And he's on his knees and Richard Goff is behind him and stuff as well. That's one of my all-time favourite images because it's Ali McCoy scoring what was to him. So no, it's super Ali, boyhood hero. And I've not I've met him once. I met him once when I was at 10 and he was out on a date with a girl. You know, don't be don't be too shocked. <laughs> and uh, he was in the he was in the I think we were in a pub and he was in the restaurant next door and somebody'd said there's super Ali's in there. And I went and got his autograph and stuff. But I, I'm choking to see if I can get him in, in to do something with the podcast. He's just a brilliant guy. Just a brilliant character. And everyone resonates with him. And the reference I was going to make probably ages me as well. But he was like a real life Roy of the Rovers. In that like he was like the comic book character where he'd score a hat-trick in the cup final against Celtic. Yeah. He'd, he'd come back and score a last-minute winner when he's just get back from injury. He'd score that overhead kick. I mean, the volume of goals was incredible, but just... The importance of them, he seemed like a guy who Rangers could and did always depend on when he needed to go most. And I think yeah. I think some Rangers fans would give him a harder time because of the management, but he'd have to have done a lot worse and more damage as a manager to me to even start making a dent in what he achieved for Rangers as a player. I think the problem is that you'll look through it through that optic and um, you'll, you'll look at, you know, when was doing the stuff in terms of who was backing within the board and all the rest of it and stuff tell me someone who didn't make big mistakes when we're talking about some of the spivs that were involved within some of that time and you know who he was kind of putting his money on in terms of being able to try and come into it because the club was a complete shambles and this is a guy who by and large had been paid very very well by Rangers was very important to Rangers you know had been through so many changes at the club but the kind of constant was that you know guys like David Murray were always going to be there and stuff and been able to put so much centre around him and as you say because of how important he was and the goals that he scored and the trophies that he won for us I think that you know his, his allegiances probably had to have they were probably multifaceted and what I mean by that is he probably cared about the fans he cared about the players he cared about the staff that were there he cared about the boardroom so you're going to offend somebody do you know what I mean and that's why I can understand as to why he was so conflicted in terms of where he would lend some of his his backing and his support and stuff as well you know it's, it's difficult right we all we all you know we all believed in false dawns at that kind of time you know Absolutely. I think we just have to give him that 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 I suppose that leeway and stuff he scores goals that's it that's Alan McCoy he scores goals Alan and, and Dave Jr what's your kind of take on McCoy's legacy I'm with Cammy again, sorry, but he's he'll always, not always, I suspect he'll retain his position as my favourite Rangers player of all time again from that era. The management thing, prefer now to look on that as Rangers needed him as a manager at that time in their history. They needed a Rangers man like that who was going to stand up for the club, lead them through it and be that that figurehead. Your Pedro Casino and what have you, that would not have worked in that type of situation. So I, I know he didn't bring the glory to, to Ibrox at that point, but that, that wasn't really the point. As a player,
Yeah, he, he was a guy. I'll, I'll chuck in my my unsung favourite Rangers player as well, a, a fullback. Not not quite in the same mould as we have today, but Stuart Monroe, mm. left back. Always enjoyed him. I mean, it's used to slag me off for how much I went on about him, but I always liked the fact that you could have like a, a an iconic player you would look back on that nobody else really was that bothered about. Solid and reliable. I remember yep. Stuart Monroe being a total yep. classic. Solid fullback. Dave Jr., what about yourself in terms of McCoyst and the kind of Rangers legacy. Just when you say solid and reliable, it takes me back to uh, the night in Rotterdam this time last year with Alan, sharing the bed with him. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, you've got a full house for Supers fans, I'm afraid. Again, just growing up that generation. Nothing, he might not be the, have been the best player we've ever had, technically, but he's he'll be forever my all-time favourite, my all-time hero and absolutely every level. Fantastic. Well, I think what's like really interesting when we did the, the poll for 50 Greatest Rangers was because obviously McCoyce won it. There was one point, one voting point between him and John Gregg and that that's formidable. And I think the big thing for us, we were always really interested in seeing the result of that poll because uh, by and large, you know, you would always expect or, or, or uh, associate podcasts with a young listenership, like, you know, something like that as well. But so many of, of them voted for for Greg just continued as the backup, but yeah, one one point was the thinnest possible margin you could have. I think John Greg was the other name that you could potentially have thrown in there, but I'm probably just a, quite happy to say a little bit too young to fully appreciated John Greg in that way. My, my John Greg story though is that he once interrupted the conversation we would have to butt in on me. <laughs> it's something that I'll forever. The hate. perils of fame, Alan. The perils of fame. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? It, there's a there's a backstory to this as well, but I was at a charity do with Chris Cassidy, so Chris, a good Celtic man. In the auction, they had two tickets for the director's box at Ibrox, uh, and Chris is a very generous guy as well, and he's sort of saying this this isn't going for that much, Alan. Let let's do this. So we ended up. We'd always had a few drinks. It's good charity. We we bought it. We won it. We're all excited, all chuffed about it. I got up in the morning and I, and I phoned Chris and I said. Are you sure you want to do this? And he said, No, I, I can't tell. I can't. I can't tell my friends and my family. So I, I found a friend to go with. Not not too difficult. Self and my mate were in there. I think it was Aloha Rangers were playing. We we're talking to Campbell Ogilvy, the previous secretary of Rangers, and being from the Highlands, he was talking about when he signed Billy Ackert. So I was talking about Billy Ackert at Cali, and, and John Gregg walks over and says, "Oh, I was the one who signed Billy Ackert for Rangers." And I was, you wanted to turn around and say, who, who are you? What, what's, <laughs> I'm, I'm chatting to these guys here. So that's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dine out in that one for as long as I can. Uh, John Gregg wanted to chat to me. Uh, maybe I was going to ask Cami as well. We've, we've obviously covered a, a couple of European trips, a couple of trips in England. So favourite trips you have in Scotland? Dingle, um, an acceptable answer. I think yeah, you could say uh, you could say Parkhead if uh, if you come away with the result. I'll, I'll give a wee mention to my mate Simon Leslie, who uh, I remember uh, coming out, skipping, skipping out of Parkhead. Uh, it was following the the Mendes goal and the four two game, and uh, obviously Miller had had scored the volley, well the kind of half volley from my personal best friend Kevin Thompson. That that one, if you remember the Boric spill. And for whatever reason, Miller took about eight touches before he eventually put it in over it. And I remember we all came out and it's, a, you know, we're all singing and cheering and all that kind of stuff. And Simon was not a Kenny Miller fan for past misdeeds. Let's just put it like that. So Simon came out and I was standing to him and I'm hugging him. And he goes, don't know why everyone's celebrating a two-all draw. <laughs> it doesn't count them. 
Yeah, didn't, didn't count them. I think in terms of, I've got a few that I really dislike. The Tawdry and Tanadice been a couple of them. Kilmarnock's all right. I don't really mind the, the, the close proximity to the Park Hotel. I mean, you can actually get a beer before you go into it and then, you know, not have to queue for ages and all the rest of it. It's, it's just a really hospitable ground of it. Yeah, I think if I had to, if I probably had to pick one, I'd probably say Fur Park. I quite like Fur Park just because I think it's quite a close ground. We've not done well recently, but another another favourite amount of Tynecastle. I think Tynecastle's got a really good atmosphere when you know it's going your way. But uh, yeah, the last couple of times we've been there, it's not been fantastic. And plus, it's it's kind of a bit of a different day out in Edinburgh where you can kind of go through and you can you can spend a good portion of the day in the city and stuff as well, and then head on down to the game. And it's it's not too bad. They seem to be quite stringent for whatever reason. I don't know that they kind of go through like you know the the barriers and the security gates to be able to get there and check your tickets. I, don't quite understand why because it's Tynecastle, but yeah, I've all, I quite like that. Quite, it's good to be good to be stadium that's just off the kind of main road and Lothian Road as well. Have you ever sampled the joys of Dingwall where Alan's from? Cameron? I have, I have. Yeah, been up to been up to Dingwall. I, I think it's it's great to be able to try and do the trips up north and stuff. Probably Inverness is probably in my my furthest one I think but Dingwall I think Dingwall's good I think in terms of being able to try and go for a trip but going up then when you just want to come home quickly it's difficult when you're in the car for the business end of kind of four hours you know going uh, all kinds of manners of routes and stuff as well but yeah it's it's nice enjoying listening to everything it's quite interesting you know Lisbon reminds me a lot of the uh, the first time Alan and I went to Cowdenbeath uh, you know, <laughs> really, really quite similar <laughs> glorious um, central park <laughs> yeah that was it that was a day and a half, that one, yeah. Uh, no, just, I, I mean, it, it was great hearing all these different grounds and it's, it's something that Alan and I have spoken about along with one of our other friends, uh, another Alan, about once everything gets going again and we can start travelling abroad, get to some of those uh, Rangers European games away. So yeah, I think we've all done a few to different extents. You know, I think we've, we've almost done the tourist type ones. But we love the idea of getting across to you know, like of Denmark and maybe in kind of Eastern Europe. And you always get a lot less fans. You can maybe enjoy that that bit differently, which has been our experience. I think I, I, it was quite odd because although financially the Champions League is obviously the kind of the, the, the kind of big prize, what I always enjoyed about I mean back then kind of like the UEFA Cup Europa League as it is now, you know, was sometimes when you you know the big team, sometimes it can be a bit sterile because you know I mean I've always I've, I've, I want to go and see us play in, in, in the Bernabeu. I'd love to be able to try and do that and stuff. But I think the Champions League you're dealing with a kind of top tier level of teams and stuff as well. And it's kind of whereas it's always felt a lot to me when you do the Europa League or UEFA Cup teams. It's a bit more provincial. It's a little bit more, but it's rough. And, but it's good, right? Because it's rough and ready. Yeah. Sometimes I think there's a. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I'm not explaining this properly, but there's a bit more character to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you're going in and you're going probably to places that, like I say, you wouldn't be, dream of kind of going to. Like I would not. I would not have went to to, to Molde in Norway for the you know any other reason than to go and watch Rangers. Don't but it's one of the, which, uh, Where were you in in Norway? So we we flew into Oslo and then we got a bus up to Molde, uh, a, a ferry to Molde yeah. in terms of there as well. So yeah, that was I just uh, six or seven. I've been a couple of times to Norway, but uh, I didn't know where. Mulder was is it how far yeah, up is it yeah it's 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 pretty up kind of near the north there was some very interesting cliffs that we drove alongside that um, let's just say I was looking in the other side of the bus window because I was terrified we could have fallen down I was like you would never go there I mean you would never ever have a kind of unless you were an extensive traveller you would never have a, an overwhelming reason to go there but it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been yeah it's great you know, isn't it Norway I've, I've seen one match in the Arctic Circle it was we just happened oh, to be up in Tromsø and I, I went up to the ground but there was no game on 
on and I was speaking to a guy and I don't know if you remember a long time ago, Tom so played, I think they played St. Mirren in the UEFA Cup. Cup. I was talking to a guy at the ground and he'd actually, he was an ex-player, I think he was on the coaching staff and he said he'd been in, he'd be playing in that game and he says we're actually playing in the Cup in a place called Buda in a couple of days' time. He says, I think we're going to be there. Oh, so, to cut a long story short, we went, <laughs> we, we went to that game and Tromso were 4-0 up at half-time and the fans were going absolutely crazy. That was quite an experience. It's a great place, isn't it, Norway? Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And um, like you say, because you get the opportunity to kind of go over there. And yeah. Balder, by and large, is a town, right? I, I mean, I don't know if you could technically call it a city. I really don't know, but I genuinely don't think so. And again, like you say, when you descend on the place and stuff as well, and people see and you're out having a good time and all the rest of it yeah. and stuff, the, the kind of locals they really don't know what to make of it, but they love it. They love being able to kind of come in and be part of it. Stuff the like LBs, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm fairly sure we were able to kind of hunt out a bargain. I think of like you know, being able to try and find the nastiest, cheapest beer you could possibly. Yeah, it find. can it can be done. I think listen, listen, you, you get a couple down your neck, and they become far more palatable. You know, that's always <laughs> you've got to be open minded with these things. You didn't find some old, old cans of skull from 1986? Right? I mean, like harp and all that kind of stuff as well, you know? The, pro- the proper stuff, you know? Cammy, you've been really a fantastic guest and we're really keen for our listeners to get the opportunity to learn more about Heart and Hand. So how can they keep in touch with Heart and Hand, Cammy? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. So we uh, we do two free shows a week, which is our flagship, which uh, come out on a Monday. And we will normally have an extra show, which will come out on a Thursday or a Friday. You'll get them wherever you normally get your podcasts. So you can get them on Spotify, uh, Acast, iTunes, etc. Our Patreon site is patreon.com forward slash Heart and Hand. Uh, I think as we kind of touched on there, um, we've got loads of shows about Rangers and different periods of the Rangers history. We've got some stuff which is happening at the moment, which travels from the 70s. And we've got another show which is talking about Walter's second spell at the club which is obviously within I say the last few years but you kind of know what I mean and loads of different topical shows as well uh, we try and do a good mix of content I think it, you know you'll find some stuff in there that, that I think will hopefully appeal to your taste and again like you say we're just uh, we're really very very fortunate we've got a brilliant community of people who are really supportive of us as we've kind of worked especially through the current climate of Covid and how people have been impacted and stuff we've, we've had a brilliant response to people reaching out and, and, and looking to be able to try and help others and stuff if I, if I can just really quick because you asked me about one of the big things that's an eye-opener for me as a podcast was that last year we uh, we made the decision that when uh, more furlough schemes and redundancies started to, to, to kind of come out and stuff we, we knew that for the small part of our pod's plays in people's lives that some people were really dependent on it so we we said on one of the one of the daily updates we are going to continue subscriptions but if you've been impacted uh, then we will refund your subscription fee for as long as you happen to be out of work or on reduced wages or whatever you don't have to explain the context you don't have to show us proof or nothing you know crazy like that you just have to tell us and we'll do whatever we can to help and we, we kind of wanted to make sure that people were were well accommodated what actually happened was people then got in touch with this regular subscribers who said we will take out additional subscriptions and pay for them as long as people don't feel that they have to then cancel their subscription. So give them our additional ones. Really just resonates, I think, a a person-to-person perspective, a little bit more of that kind of human community. So we always want to be able to try and do whatever we can for it. We're doing, mentioned to you guys before, when we're talking about doing the, uh, the live show in a couple of weeks, the virtual live show. It came about because we've got a listener who always comes to our live shows whenever we do them, whether we do them in the Loudoun Tavern, at Ibrox or in the stadium itself. And and, and he kind of mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm disabled. I'm really struggling to be able to try and manage my mental health, but I can't leave the house. And I'd love to be able just to do something and get together with people to be able to do that. We never thought about that. 
And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I can go out and if I have to go to the supermarket or, you know, if I go to my work, if I'm ever working on site for, for the odd shift or whatever. But I kind of took a bit of that for granted and this gentleman reached out to us and said, you know, I'd like to do it. And that's why we're doing it for that particular reason. So we're, we're very appreciative of, of the feedback and the insight that we get from people because, again, like I say, we, we absolutely don't ever want to take anything for granted. So I'm incredibly proud of it. Hopefully, if it helps people, then, as I say, it's just us talking nonsense about football, but it's making a difference. Fantastic. And especially in these times as well. And that's a really it's definition of a community, isn't it? It's somewhere where people are joined together with a common purpose, something that binds them, and they look after those who are less fortunate than themselves at times. Yeah, and, and my petition to have Ross Wilson sacked from Rangers for not signing Kyle Lafferty is, <laughs> is not gathered the momentum from that community that I wanted. However, it's you have to pick and choose your battles. What can I say? <laughs> give it time, give it time, Cammy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cammy. You've been a, an absolutely fantastic guest, and I think our listeners will really, really enjoy that. 